0: I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles to 1 John. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 3 this morning. Um, I'm going to invite Renee up for our scripture reading. And I'll invite you just to turn your hearts over to the Lord. We're going to uh, go to the Word of God now. So let's turn our attention to that. Good morning. This is the Word of God. 1 John three nineteen through 24. This is how we know that we belong to the truth, and we will reassure our hearts before him. Wherever our, whenever our hearts condemn us, for God is greater than our hearts, and he knows all things. Dear friends, if our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive whatever we ask from him because we keep his commands and do what is pleasing in his sight. Now this is his command, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps his commands remains in him and he in him. and the way we know that he remains in us is from the spirit He has given us. Amen. Thanks, Renee. Happy Mother's Day to you for reading. Thanks for doing that. On, thanks for doing that on Mother's Day. Why are you reading? Mother's Day. Dan, step up next time. Come on. what are you doing? <laughs> Sorry. Uh, hey, the mic's on. Hey church family. It's good to see you. I'm really glad you're here. Uh, The last couple of weeks of doing online only, I'm grateful for the technology that allows us to do that, but boy, it's sure nice to hear this room filled with uh, people lifting their voices and clapping their hands and singing God's praises, isn't that that right? Uh, If you're new, my name's Aaron, I'm one of the pastors here, and we are doing a teaching series called Things That Are Hard To Do. And we've done this series a few times over the years, and it just gives us an opportunity to address tough topics, whether it's theologically tough topics, or societally tough topics, or sometimes emotionally, our own heart, tough topics. And, uh, you know, we've looked at, uh, you know, things like it's hard to pray, or it's hard to uh, talk about abuse happening in the church. Uh, Next week, we're going to look at uh, the subject, the tough topic, and the subject of hell. It's hard to talk about hell. And we, I almost had the sermon on hell scheduled for today, and then I realized that's Mother's Day, and so let's 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 shuffle the deck just a little bit here. <laughs> Happy Mother's Day! That's my gift to you. Uh, today we're doing a, a teaching entitled "It's Hard to Believe That You're Loved." And just one really quick personal note before we dive into this passage and this subject: uh, I'm blessed to have my own mother visiting from out of town. They'll be here. My family will be here at the next worship gathering. But my own. Mom is here, uh, and, and love her very dearly, and very thankful for uh, her passion. If you, if you want to know where a lot of my energy and passion and also my distractedness comes from, you can thank my mother, and I'm really grateful for her pointing me to Jesus since I was a very young boy. Uh, my wife, uh, my wife and I, uh, her, uh, she is just the most incredible mother to our four daughters, and going through parenting now teenage girls, and just to see the love of God flow through her, it's pretty amazing. And this week... Today is Mother's Day, next week is my wife's birthday, and then following that is our anniversary. And we've been dealing with this uh, week of focused love for my wife now for 20 years. Next week, my wife and I celebrate our 20th wedding anniversary. So that's pretty awesome. So we're blessed to get to go to Florida this week. I'll be back next Sunday, but just going to be out of town, uh, enjoying a little bit of sunshine and some time with other uh, pastors and wives from our church network, the Harbor Network they're a part of. So you guys can pray for us, and um, she loves gifts too. So anyways, with that said, Amen. let me pray for our time, and let's dive in here to First John chapter 3. God, we, we know that you are a God, uh, the scriptures say that you are overflowing with love and kindness, with steadfast love for us. And yet, God, we acknowledge at times it is it's hard to believe it for ourselves or to feel that way for ourselves. And so we thank you and we praise you for the truth of your word. And I ask and I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would move in our hearts right now, that, that this would be more than just information for our brains. This would be transformation for our very hearts, that we would experience, we would feel your love, not just know it cognitively, but, but to even feel it deep down in our bones. Lord, would you help me to teach only that which is in line with the truth of your word and give all of us receptive hearts right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Whenever I teach on a topical series like this, I always like to build, letting you into a little bit of my sermon prep process. Yeah, I study the scriptures, I read commentaries, but I also like to build playlists. I like to build playlists of music that kind of help me think through this. Uh, you know, so I, I started building up a, a love playlist, you know, and so you get some of the classics, right? Like, Stop in the Name of Love. Song didn't help me prep for this sermon at all. Uh, you know, U2's Pride in the Name of Love, whatever. And then, obviously, how how are you not going to have All You Need is Love by... Uh, that great theologian, John Lennon. And uh, the thing that jumped out to me this week, though, as I was listening to that song, it's a song I've listened to thousands of times, and, you know, it's an it's a American standby staple, all you need is love. But the line in that song jumped out to me, all you need is love, you know, nothing you can do, it can't be done, nothing you can say, it can't be, and then he goes, it's easy. I'm like, really? It's so easy, John Lennon. All you need is love. Why then have there been countless hundreds of thousands of songs written about the desire and the need for love? If it's so easy, Mr. John Lennon, why are you saying that you know, all you need is love? That, that, that you think about this idea that just all you need is love. Everyone craves love. And actually my big idea for today is, is very much in line with what John Lennon said. Everybody needs love. Every human being needs love. This is true. We know this to be true theologically. As Christians, we believe that every human being is created in the image and the likeness of God, and that God, the Christian understanding of God, is that God is Trinity. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That within the essence of God are three distinct persons, that have existed for all of eternity, will exist through all of eternity, in a relationship of mutual self-giving love. And so one of the aspects that it means for us as human beings to be created in God's image and likeness is that we have this this inherent, I should say, capacity for love. We were made for relationship. Can I get an amen from anybody in the church this morning? We were made for receiving and giving love. We know it to be true theologically. We know it to be true emotionally, just the the human experience, that so many other benevolent feelings, the feelings that we want, are dependent upon knowing that you're loved, feeling that you're loved. If you want to feel joyful, if you don't feel loved, it will rob you of joy. Humans want to feel safe and secure, and and not feeling loved will, will diminish your capacity to feel safe and secure. There's so many other feelings emotionally that are based upon feeling love. We know this to be true biblically. I'm sorry, not biblically, I I said that. Biologically, the different B word, biologically. Uh, you, you, You hear of babies when they're first born needing skin-to-skin human contact. There's something called failure to thrive. If these little infants don't receive human touch and love and affection from their mothers and others, th- there, there are, is a, a thing, to failure to thrive, where biologically we're even hardwired for love. Uh, mirror neurons are just this phenomenally crazy thing that I won't even claim to fully understand, but I did watch a documentary on it, and it just blew my mind. Just, you, you, just, you see somebody else smile And your brain lights up in the part of the brain that would light up if you were smiling, even if you're not. It's mind-blowing, sort of like we're hardwired biologically for love. And again, societally, like I said, countless thousands of songs have been written about the need for love. Love is at the core. Love is at the core of being Love is at the core of being. It's 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 listed in the Bible as one of if not the central attribute of God. There's all these attributes of God. God is wise, God is powerful, God is merciful, God is is all of these things. He's righteous. But throughout the scriptures his love is consistently listed as one of these just central attributes you think of exodus 34 when God discloses himself to Moses and the children of Israel he says you know the Lord the Lord and all these different attributes but it's it's it says abounding overflowing in steadfast love and he, he repeats it in in a little bit later a few verses later that he's shows steadfast love to Thousands of generations, even though he holds the evildoer accountable, and those will have implications to the third and the fourth generation, it says his steadfast love is to thousands of generations. Or Psalm 136, it's one of those psalms where, you know, how sometimes people will critique the kind of modern worship movement about being too repetitive. I was actually thinking about that. We were singing the song, your love never fails and never gives up. Your love never fails. we kind of saying the same thing over and over again. And people are like, that's too repetitive. Go read Psalm 136. Every other line is his steadfast love endures forever. Over and over and over again, because repetition is one of the best ways that human beings actually learn and internalize things. And the psalmist wants us to know that his steadfast, it's like you're, you're out and about, like what, does his, his steadfast love, oh yeah, it does, it does endure forever, that's right, I remember, because of the psalm. Or the famous verse in 1 John 4, 8, which we'll look at a little bit too, it says that, that God is love. Not only is love at the core of who God is, it's at the core of what it means for us to be followers of God, for us to be people of God. It's a, it's a central command for us, Deuteronomy chapter 6, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul, mind, and strength. And Jesus repeats that in Matthew chapter 22 when, when he's asked, what's the most important commandment in all of the Torah, in all of the law that was given through Moses? Jesus says, you know what it is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then Jesus adds, and it goes in the second one also is love your neighbor as you love yourself. That love is at the core Of being. Love is at the core of who God is. Love is at the core of what it means for us to be human and for us to be particularly people who follow God. Now, it can also be hard. Here's a a separate things that are hard to do. Define love. I spent more, I mean, that was part of the reason why I was listening to all these songs as I'm trying to get an understanding. How does our culture define love? How does the Bible define love? How do we understand? It's one of those words that we throw around. John Lennon says, all you need is love. But then he says, it's easy. I don't know if we're talking about the same kind of love, Mr. Lennon. What does love mean? What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. No more, right? That was also in the playlist. Sorry, it slipped out. There's a few components to love that I want to make sure, this will not be an exhaustive definition, but I want to make sure that we have these few components in our minds as we go to the scriptures. Because love has a few aspects to it. The first one is there, there is a component and an aspect of action. Giving, serving, protecting. There's a component of love that is, yes, a feeling Now, we know that love is more than just a feeling, but it's not less than a feeling. There's the feeling of affection. It's where we use our words and and our emotions and and even physical touch to give us that that feeling of love. So it's both action and feeling, but there's a really third important component, biblically speaking, when we're talking about love, and it's the component of commitment, faithfulness. I I was in that Psalm 136, where it says over and over and over again, His love endures forever. His love endures forever. The Hebrew word there is the word hesed. We've talked about this before, but the word hesed. There's no single English word that is a perfect uh, or even really an adequate translation for that word. The word hesed combines elements of feeling and affection, but loyalty and covenantal commitment which is why I really like in the CSB translation, they, they, they say steadfast love or his loyal, committed love. Without action, love is just sentimentality, right? Oh, I love you, but I'm not committed to you. It's just sentiment. It's, it's wishy-washy. Without feeling, though, love is robotic. I could hire a robot to serve me and protect me and, and, and tell me, I love you. Like, I could, I mean, I have Alexa. I could program Alexa just every morning. Dear Aaron, I love you. Thank you. And you do serve me because, you know, deodorant shows up in the mail when I'm running out. Like, it's amazing, right? This robot really cares for me. And without commitment, love is using someone else for your own benefit instead of self-giving, sacrificial, committed love. Biblically speaking, we all we need all of these elements at play. Because again, we were made to receive love. We were made as human beings to receive love. Think about all the, think about all the, the different sources where we might receive love. We receive love from God, from our parents. I mean, think about the impact you you parents on Mother's Day, mothers. Your love has so much more value than even you realize. And when your kids wake you up at 6.05 on a Sunday morning to yell, Happy Mother's Day, in your face, you're like, man, that's love. To not put them in time out immediately on Sunday morning, right? You're made to receive love from, from a spouse, for those of you who are married, made to receive love from family, brothers, sisters, extended family, aunts, uncles, cousins, from, from friends, to receive love from friends. I mean, man, there's a whole uh, sermon on friendship that I did a few years ago just about how much we, in our culture, we don't understand. We, we've elevated the romantic love to number one, but friendship is such an important way that we give and receive love. And there is even a place to say to receive love from self. You know, Jesus talks about, you know, no one ever hated themselves, but loved themselves. Love your neighbor as yourself. I know that self-love gets exaggerated in our culture, but there is a valid place to say, yes, I don't don't hate myself. I I love and and value myself, and I'm committed to my own well-being. But of all of these sources of love, the one that is absolutely fundamental and will influence and affect all of the other ones is our ability to receive love from God. Receiving God's love is the number one most important aspect of knowing that you're loved. And so we have a problem. We, we you know, sorry, John Lennon, but it's not that easy at times to really feel like you're loved. I wonder if, if you'd be so bold if I could ask for a show of hands. Have you ever struggled to feel like you are loved or lovable. Anybody here in this room ever, ever struggle with that? It's a lot of us. It's a lot of us. And so I wanna receive some help from the Apostle John. The Apostle John. John, <laughs> I love John, I love his boldness that he refers to himself in the Gospel of John as the disciple that Jesus loved. <laughs> Not only did John write that he was a faster runner than Peter on Resurrection Sunday, but he also has the audacity to say, oh, you know, that one disciple that, you know, Jesus loved. Like, <laughs> I thought I thought that was kind of Jesus' whole deal. He was like, love all these people. Love everybody. I was like, yeah, well, you know, the one that he really loved. So John, we're going to look. And, and actually, 1 John, the letter in particular, has a lot of these quotes that are, you know, God is love. And he, he receives the award for some of these, like, most popular sayings and quotes about God's love, but but in our scripture reading we actually heard he he acknowledges this problem. He acknowledges that at times we feel condemned in our hearts. First John three nineteen he says, This is how we know that we belong to the truth and we'll reassure our hearts before him. That whenever our hearts condemn us, pause. Again, we just had a little show of hands. Any of you ever had your heart condemn you? John is acknowledging this is not a new modern societal problem. This is as fundamental as humanity itself. That there are times where our hearts say things to us. We hear messages, whether it's from the outside or from the inside. You are unlovable, you are not worthy of being loved. But he says this, there's a way to know that we belong to the truth and to have our hearts reassured. He says, for God is greater than our hearts. Amen, church family. You with me on that? God is greater than our hearts. And he knows all things. So dear friends, if our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence before God and we can receive whatever we ask from him because we keep his commands and do what is pleasing in his sight. As I read through the letter of 1 John this week, I identified five reasons why at times we don't feel love. And I want to walk through them. The first and most basic reason, sometimes we don't feel loved by God because some people don't actually know God yet. Some people don't feel loved by God because they don't yet know God. He says this in 1 John 4, verses 7 and 8. He says, dear friends, let us love one another. That's kind of his his main idea. He's really trying to get people to love each other and care for each other. But in so doing, he says, because love is from God. And everyone who loves, who, who truly loves, has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love couple of things to, to think about in this. First of all, in our culture, we have taken that little phrase at the end, God is love, and we've flipped it backwards. And we've said, love is God. Love is not God. The, the, the idea of love, the feeling of love, that is not God. God, what, the, what John is saying is that God himself, at the center and the core of his essence and who he is, is the attribute of Love. Love is not God, but God's defining attribute, John says, is love. So the the question then is, if you really want to love, if you truly want to love as God defines love, you have to come to know God. You have to be, John uses this language of born of God. Think about going back to the gospel of John in John chapter 3 when Jesus is talking with Nicodemus. He talks about you need to be reborn, And the Bible presents us with this great uh, problem to be dealt with that in our fallenness, in our humanity, we are born spiritually dead. We are born disconnected from God because of our fallen, sinful, human nature. But God is saying there's a way to be reborn. I mean, it's where the the language of born again. Are you a born again Christian? Meaning, no, I don't just, you know, study Christianity like a philosophy. Like, no, I've come into relationship with God. I have been reborn. I was spiritually dead, but now I am spiritually alive. Thanks be to God. So some people... Do not feel that they are loved. Do not experience love because they have not yet come into right relationship with God. And if there is anyone here today, whether in this room or listening online, who has not come to know the love of God through Christ Jesus, today is your day. Today is your day to to trust in Jesus to know his love, to know that God sent him into the world to seek us and to save us and to redeem us, to pull us out of that place of spiritual death, bring us into the place of spiritual life that we might know that we are loved by God. And then we're able to love others. So how can I be known by God? Well, that leads me into point number two. You have to know Jesus, which is point number two. Some people don't feel loved by God, Because they think that love is based on their behavior. Some people don't feel loved because you have believed a lie that in order to be loved, you have to behave. 1 John 4, 9. John debunks this. God's love was revealed among us in this way, that God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Here's Jesus his one and only son. Love consists in this. Will you say it with me? Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. Stop, stop, Did we love God first? Did he love us first? Why is it so easy to get it backwards? Love consists in this. Not that we loved God, but that he Loved us and sent His Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now listen, in this book, First John, in this short little letter, John talks a lot about doing right things. Stop sinning. Love other people. You know, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of behavior language in First John. But do not forget that that behavior, that action, that activity is never the basis for God's love for us. It's a response to God's love for us. There is this tension. God's love will will change our behavior. God's love will inevitably fuel our behavior, our love for others. And if you genuinely love other people, you don't want to do things that hurt them. You don't want to do things that bring them down. But God's love is never contingent upon our behavior. And I have to say this to myself on a daily basis. You need to say this to yourself on a daily basis, particularly if you are the kind of person that finds it, uh, whether it finds it easy to, to lean upon your behavior and your morals and your actions for your sense of identity. All of the Christian life, is responding to God's love, responding to Jesus, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Can I just say it again for the people in the back? You do not earn God's love by your behavior. Your behavior is in loving response to the love that God has already given to you. Which leads me to point number three, which is some people don't feel loved by God because they are harboring sin. Do not forget what I just said, but look at what John says in verse 20 of chapter 4. If anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister whom he has not seen cannot love God whom he has seen. And we have this command from him. The one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. So again, this is not how you earn God's love. This is how you demonstrate that you have received God's love. And for some of us, the reality is that when we hold on to hatred or uh, apathy or anger or any other sinful thing, when we harbor that in our hearts, when we harbor that in our minds, it will disconnect us from the ability to feel and to receive God's love. Think about the analogy of a marriage or a close friendship, a close relationship. When when they've done something to hurt me, I might still love them and care about them, but there's going to be a distance in that relationship. Or if I've done something to hurt them, even if they don't realize it yet, there's going to be some distance in that relationship. Now, with God, He is perfectly loving. And his love for us is a committed and steadfast and faithful sort of love. But when you are harboring sin, when you are giving place to that which God says breaks his heart and harms us as human beings, yeah, you better believe you're not going to feel as loved. We need to be born of God. We need to really believe that his love is not based on our behavior, and we need to then direct our behavior in response to his love. Number four, sometimes we don't feel loved by God because we're bound up by pride and focused on others. There's a little interesting story. If I skip back into chapter 3, verse 11, John, he references the story of Cain and Abel. He says, this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another unlike Cain, Who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his deeds were evil and his brother's were righteous. If you go back into Genesis uh, chapter four and you read through the story of Cain and Abel, you can see that there's this element of jealousy that's at work. Cain is jealous of his brother Abel. And we don't get the full explanation in Genesis. We don't get the the full understanding of why Abel's sacrifice was accepted, Cain's wasn't, how he knew this, all this sort of stuff. But we can see that in the workings of his heart, he was was not looking at God, he was looking at his brother. Instead of recognizing who God is and all of the grace that he's received and, and all of that, he was looking with a jealous heart. And I would argue that a jealous heart is a prideful heart. A jealous heart is a prideful heart because jealousy says, you have that, I deserve that, I want that, I will take that. A jealous heart is a prideful heart. Comparison, friends, is a love destroyer. Any of you who are parents of multiple kids know that when they start comparing themselves to each other, you know it's going to be a bad Saturday afternoon, right? Like, well, she got this, and they got that, and they've done this, and blah, blah, blah. And like, oh, like the, the comparison game. It just makes it so hard to give and to receive love. So some of us are struggling to feel loved because we're just looking at everybody else instead of fixing our eyes on Jesus, who loved us perfectly, Last one, number five. Sometimes we don't feel loved by God because we're bound up in shame. Shame. Going back yet even another chapter, 1 John chapter two, um, he's, he's talking about the subject of antichrists, which that was another one I considered for a nice Mother's Day sermon, but uh, <laughs> elected not to. He's, he's talking about the idea that like these people will come and, and, and this is another topic for another day, but just antichrists, plural, not just one antichrist. Who is it? Is it, you know, George Soros, or I don't know who, I don't even know who George Soros is. I just hear his name. He's, people mad at him, people real mad. But like, who's the antichrist? Well, well John is saying actually antichrists is, is anybody who comes with this message that's opposed to the message, the true message of Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ. And he says, so you, you, you know, don't, don't get tricked by them. He says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One and all of you know the truth. Skipping down to verse 26, he goes, I've written these things to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. And as for you, the anointing you received from him, you like the anointing, that's Messiah language. You've been sealed. You're, you're part of the, you're, you're united with the Messiah. It remains in you and you don't need anyone to teach you. Don't listen to these false teachers. You know the truth. Instead, his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie. Just as it has taught you, remain in him. He's saying like, look, remain connected to God. Don't listen to false teaching, all this stuff. And then he says this. So now children, remain in him so that when he appears, he's talking about the return of Jesus Christ. When he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Shame is this really powerful part of the fallen human experience. And it's as old as Adam and Eve in the garden. What, is, what does Genesis chapter three tell us? That they, they listened to the voice of the deceiver. They ate of the fruit that they were not, that they were commanded not to eat from. It says that they went and they sowed fig leaf coverings for themselves, they went and hid. And when God appeared, similar sort of language, when God appeared in the garden to spend time with his his king and his queen, Adam and Eve, he says, where are you? And they said, we were afraid, and so we hid. Shame enters in. Shame is similar to guilt, but it's not the same. Ed Welch, who's a, a biblical counselor and author, he writes this. It's very helpful. He says, shame and guilt are close companions, but not identical. Shame is the more common and broader of the two. In Scripture, you will find shame, nakedness, dishonor, disgrace, defilement, these other words, about ten times more often than you find guilt. Guilt lives in the courtroom, where you stand alone before the judge. And it says, you are responsible for wrongdoing and legally answerable. You are wrong, you have sinned. The guilty person expects punishment and needs forgiveness. So guilt has to do with, you know, you have done something wrong, you've crossed the line, here's the consequences, we need to be forgiven by God. Shame is a little bit different. Shame lives in the community. Though the community can feel like a courtroom. It says you don't belong. You are unacceptable unclean and disgraced because you are wrong, you have sinned, or wrong has been done to you, or you are associated with those who are disgraced or outcast. The shamed person feels worthless, expects rejection, and needs cleansing, fellowship, love, and acceptance. John writes that when we, when we really come into the presence of a holy God, you know, if we've been kind of messed up by these antichrists, these false teachers, if we've believed things that aren't true, when we come into God's holy presence, we're going to feel that sense of shame. Now, I, I would argue, and Ed Welch would argue as well, there is an, there is an element of shame that has a, it has a purpose, it has a function. Just as pain tells you that something is wrong, like if you touch a hot stove, ooh, I shouldn't do that. Shame can tell us, ooh, something is wrong. It needs to be adjusted. But friends, as followers of Jesus, we were not meant to live in shame. We were meant to bring that shame into the healing light of God's love and receive a word of assurance and acceptance from him. Because remember what we read all the way back at the beginning. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us, even when we were at our most shameful. Does God know all things? It's not a trick question, church. Does God know all things? Does God know the worst thing that you have ever done? Was God there in those moments of your deepest shame? He was. And what is God's response? To send his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our shame that in his blood we receive washing and cleansing and fellowship and love and acceptance now our culture takes shame and they've got a few solutions right our culture says well if you're feeling that shame or if you're not feeling love maybe you just need to be in love with love right this is the john lennon solution all you need is love there's no definition there's no help it's just a relentless pursuit of love get love however you can it's like piracy. Just take no prisoners, take love, get it however you can, get it however you need. Or our culture says we need to be in love with romantic love in particular. Our society has elevated romantic love, has put a burden on romantic love that it alone was never meant to bear. We were meant to exist in family and in community and extended family and in relationship and with friendships and deeply loved by God. And our culture has said, let's take all of that and put it on the romantic relationship. And if you don't have the romantic relationship, you ain't nothing, I, I like to make fun of the line, I can't remember which movie it is off the top of my head, but the, the you complete me line, as though you are incomplete until you find that exactly specific single other person that like two pieces of a puzzle you fit together. There's no such thing. They are part of the broader. If you were like graced by God to find a spouse, they are part of the overall picture of love that we're supposed to receive. Our society says romantic love is the one thing that completes you. And if that's not enough, if you're feeling shame, if you're feeling unloved, well, you just need to be in love with yourself. Love yourself. Girl, step up and love yourself. And all these types of, you know, positive sort of messages, which there's a place, again, like I said, there is a right and good and biblical place for loving yourself. But if you're going to yourself for the source of feeling loved, but you don't feel loved, you're not, you guys tracking with me? Like the logic is nonsense. I remember that comedian said, I tried to teach myself how to play guitar, except I didn't know how to play guitar. So I was a terrible teacher. It's kind of like that. I don't love myself. You know what I need to do? I need to love myself and I go to myself for love. It's, like, you're, ah, it's an empty well. Friends, the reality is that everybody, to deal with these issues, everybody needs not just love. Everybody needs Jesus' love. Everybody needs in Jesus the kind of love who shows us the God whose name is love. And in Jesus, we receive love that's not based upon our performance. And in Jesus, we can put our sin to death and be truly changed so that we can give and receive love more freely. And in Jesus, we can learn to live with humility and looking at him and not comparing ourselves to others. And friends, in Jesus, we have cleansing from our shame problem. It's all true in him. It's all free in him, and it starts with repentance and faith and living in relationship with God. And so I'll say it again. For those who might be listening and who have never received God's love through Christ Jesus, today is the day. Why would you put it off yet another day? Why would you go to yet another empty well to try to drink of something that won't satisfy you when the offer is on the table, come to Jesus, receive God's perfect love. Close with a couple of quick thoughts. How do do we walk this out? How How do we walk in God's love? And the first one is, again, we have to receive Jesus' love. For those of you who are not believers, I'd love to talk to you, I'd love to explain to you more about what that means. For those of you who are Christians, you have to keep coming back to the source, the, the, the one who gives us living water. Drink from that well, friends. Number two, you need to know your identity in Christ. And there's a whole sermon in this little point of application, but the point is, who are you? You are a beloved son. You are a beloved daughter of the Most High God. You are loved because the cross of Jesus Christ stands forever now through all of eternity as the definitive marker, the definitive moment that says, yes, God loves you. And if you're having a good day or a bad day, your feelings are up, your mood is down, that does not change the cross. You are beloved. That is your identity. You are not your brokenness. You are not your shame. You are not your past relationships. You are not what your parents said about you. You are what God says about you. So know your identity. Number three, bring your shame into his healing light. And this is, one of the, you know, easy thing to say, one of the most difficult things to do, because what does shame do? Shame causes us to withdraw, to pull back, to, to hide, to sow fig leaves, to hide behind the tree, and yet the very thing we need is to say, here's the shame, here's what, here's what I've done, here's what I've experienced, here's what's been done to me, I'm going to bring it into the healing light of God's love, and I'm going to let him change me, shape me, and work on me. And if you don't know how to do that, start with a trusted friend. Start with a a pastor, a leader, a a brother or sister in Christ who you know, who has a track record of being loving and and gracious and kind and just say, can I just tell you this? I need to bring my shame into the light so that it can shrivel up and die and I can receive more and more of God's love. Number four, we need to learn how to give and receive love in various ways. I don't remember how many years ago, but that book, uh, The Love Languages, came out and there's I have many problems with that book, but uh, I I don't like how that book presents it. Like, if you could love them that way, then they'll love you back. It's very kind of selfishly framed. But the the baseline reality is we all give and receive love and experience love in different ways. That's true. And so learn how to both give love and receive love in various ways. There's things that are going to come naturally to you, come easy to you, and then maybe you're married to someone or in friendship with someone and they express love differently. And instead of whining and griping about not getting the love that you want, learn how to love them, how it communicates to them. That was just a little simple side point. Don't whine is basically what I was trying to say. And then lastly, number five, let God's love empower you on mission. You guys, we are living in a world where people are just dr- just dying, thirsty to know that they're loved. And our culture is offering up a whole bunch of wells. There's just dry, dusty sand at the bottom of it. And we have been given springs of living water. Do you know God's love? Do you feel God's love? And if you do, how can you not want to share it with those who are desperate, As we go to the table of the Lord here to celebrate communion, my prayer is that as we eat and as we drink, we would even feel His love come into our hearts in a deeper way. Will you pray with me, Lord? I thank you that you have told us that we are loved, and would you help us to believe it, God? Would you help us to truly not only um, experience your love but then embody your love to other believers? as well as to this broken and sorrowful world. God, I ask and I pray now as we come to the table and as we sing that your love would fill our hearts in a fresh new way for Jesus' glory and for our joy. Amen.